0: focus podcast my name is Laura Gellner and I am a yoga therapist and occupational therapist based in New Jersey I created the yoga focus podcast as a way to talk about the tools and techniques of yoga and to see how we can use those techniques to create a greater sense of focus and clarity within our life hey everyone Today on the Yoga Focus Podcast, we're going to be talking about feet. Specifically about the feet being the foundation of the body and the feet being this part of the body that works really hard for us every single day and doesn't get nearly as much attention in our yoga practice as the hamstrings or the core. And of course, all of the those areas are important in the scope of the way that the body works but I think that it's easy for us to give the feet more attention within our yoga practice if we just pick up on a couple little tricks and tips very easy to integrate this stuff so the first thing that I want to talk about with the feet is the structure of the foot in a lot of times we talk about this triangle shape on the bottom of the foot, two points of the triangle being the base of the big toe, the base of the little toe, and then the center of the heel. If you connect those three points, it creates this triangle. So sometimes when we're talking about weight shifting, we might go toward the ball of the foot, those two points at the base of the toes, or we might rock back toward the heel. Sometimes I'll even break that up a little bit farther to talk about the inner edge of the heel and the outer edge of the heel and the reason I like to do that is because if our foot likes to turn in or turn out we can feel a difference between the pressure toward the inner edge of the heel or the pressure toward the outer edge of the heel and that center point is really where most of the time we want our pressure to be but depending on the pose that we're in that definitely could change and it's totally fine if we're leaning one way or the other in certain poses. So we have this arch within the foot and the arch of course just like the other arches that we have in the body, the arches of the spine, the arches in the palm of the hand help us to have a greater degree of mobility and strength in that part of the body. The other Things that I like to touch on when I'm talking about the feet is the ability to spread your toes. Specifically in anatomical terminology it's the abduction, abduction of the toes, that toe spread which tells us a lot about the foot muscles that are intrinsic the foot muscles that are located within the foot or in between the bones of the foot and do a lot of movements within the toes we can learn a lot about that depending on how well you're able to spread your toes and then the next one being the toe grip or toe flexion because we use this grip as a way to plant the foot and make the foot feel more grounded when we're in some of our standing poses I always like to say that your foot is holding onto the ground it's not white knuckling you're not squeezing the ground so much that your toes start to lose color but you want to have this dynamic interaction between your foot and the mat that is going to give you a greater sense of stability when you're doing maybe some challenging lunging positions maybe the upper body is moving and you really need to have a solid foundation in balancing poses if you have good toe grip that can be really helpful and again being able to bend the toes effectively is going to tell us a lot about the health and the strength of your foot muscles so then on the bottom here I just wrote some interesting facts about the feet it's one of the most complex areas of the body biomechanically second only to the hand which we'll talk about in the next couple weeks but the foot has 26 bones which is a lot of bones and in between those bones there's a total of 33 joints 20 of those joints are articulating joints there's actual measurable movement at those joints or there should be measurable movement at those joints So you can see that the foot has this very interesting combination of stability, of things that are supposed to be holding, and things that are supposed to be moving. Really an interesting mix there. There are over a hundred different soft tissue structures in the foot, and we're talking muscles, tendons, ligaments, um, lots of little soft tissue structures. If you've ever sprained an ankle, you can attest to that. So many ligaments that are helping to hold all of those bone, all of those bones in the foot and the ankle together. And then I've seen different numbers, um, anywhere between 7,000 and 8,000 nerve endings in the feet. And what does that tell us? It means that the feet have an incredible amount of receptors to sensory information. The feet have all of these nerve endings because they need to take in a lot of information, convey that information to the brain and then the brain is going to process that information and figure out do I need to shift my weight this way to keep my balance? Is the texture changing? Do I need to change the way that I'm walking? Redford is itchy. (laughs) So lots and lots of nerve endings in the feet and for me if you've seen my Instagram uh, I put up a post a couple weeks ago about how I made this transition from wearing traditional shoes and actually my shoes are right here so I will show you these are the sneakers that I'm wearing very sporadically right now just like a normal pair of Adidas really really thick cushioning on the sole the shoes that I've actually been wearing for, I'd say it maybe like eight, nine months, are these zero uh, minimalist shoes, very wide at the front of the shoe because I've figured out that I really like to be able to spread my feet out now that I've been thinking about feet and working on my feet so much, when I would put my traditional shoes on, I started to feel like my feet were just really confined and I didn't like that because when I'm at work during the day I have to have sneakers on and I felt like I was seeing changes in my feet where my toes were getting scrunched together. I had the beginning of a bunion forming on the right big toe and once I noticed that starting to happen I knew I needed to take some action to make sure that that didn't progress, and to see if I could reverse those changes. So one of the first things that I did was buy this shoe with this really wide toe box. I ordered these online because it's nearly impossible, at least where I live, to find natural shoes that are actually shaped like a real foot. If you think about it, and especially if you have young children in your life, check out their feet, see that the big toe to the little toe is the widest part of the foot. Their foot does not come to a point the way that most shoes do, especially dress shoes for women. That whole pointy toe thing is a big fashion statement. Uh, Almost all of the women's shoes that I've seen narrow on the sides toward a central point, but if you look at the shape of a foot that hasn't been crammed into traditional footwear, for too long. The toes are supposed to be the widest and then the foot gradually gets narrower back toward the heel. So when I was looking for shoes I wanted a shoe that was actually shaped like a foot because once I started thinking about it it just made sense. The part that I didn't think about when I was ordering these shoes was the difference in sensory input. I knew that it was a minimalist shoe so it didn't have as much cushion in it, but I didn't realize how little sensory information I was getting in my feet wearing my traditional shoes until I started wearing these and I would walk the dog and I could feel the different textures of sand and gravel and dirt, um, cement, and then I started to notice that it actually changed the way that I was walking. When I had my traditional shoes on, that really strong cushion I had a very heavy heel strike. My foot would hit the ground hard. As soon as I started working my way into wearing a minimalist shoe I couldn't do that really hard heel strike because I felt it. It was uncomfortable. So I noticed that I started placing my foot down more gently, more thoughtfully when I was walking compared to my other shoes. So Not to make this sound like a commercial for minimalist shoes, but um, when you're making that transition from a traditional shoe to some kind of a minimalist shoe, you have to really do it gradually, because you've been wearing traditional shoes for probably quite a while, like I had, and what I started doing was I would wear the minimalist shoe on like my shorter days, my days where I wasn't at work as long, or... Um, I wasn't doing anything quite as strenuous just to gradually start to introduce that different experience to let my body get used to it. And then I started to work up a little, little bit longer every time I would wear them. A few more hours, I would alternate days usually of the minimalist shoe and my regular shoe. What I started to notice, especially if I would walk, like if I would just take the dog for a walk for like 20 or 30 minutes, if I was wearing the minimalist shoe the next day the muscles on the inside and the outside of my ankle and my calf were sore because the minimalist shoe does not provide an external stability so my muscles had to pick up the slack and they were obviously weak from not having to work as hard. I found that super interesting because this is a problem that I've had when I've gone hiking before so most of the time I'm on very flat ground Um, when I walk the dog it's like relatively bumpy gravelly but um, not too uneven so if I was getting ready for a big hiking trip I would do a lot of like leg exercises squats lunges all sorts of stuff like that but every time I went hiking my lower leg muscles would be so sore because I was going from walking on relatively flat surfaces where my ankle didn't have to accommodate a lot from side to side to climbing over rocks and trees and all sorts of things on a hiking trail where my ankle was constantly going from side to side because of the uneven terrain. So I know, I think the worst one was probably after I hiked the Grand Canyon, the day after I could barely walk because the lower part of my legs were so sore, upper legs a little bit but not bad. I had prepped them really well but didn't even realize that my ankles and the muscles in my feet and my lower legs were not getting any work in my normal day-to-day life even though I was exercising and walking a lot. Um, The situation with my shoes and just normal ground most of the time unless we go into the woods we're all pretty much on very flat solid surfaces so that is not challenging to the foot and the ankle muscles so i really learned a lot in that process and i have to say now that i've transitioned to the point where i can wear my minimalist shoe every day and i don't get sore anymore and my feet have really acclimated to it and then i tried to go back to wearing my old sneakers it's just not the same Um, it feels very confining now So I really notice that difference. If I try to move my toes around in the shoe, there's just no room. So I think I'm really stuck on that whole minimalist shoe thing. But back to yoga-related things, one of my favorite things about yoga as just a movement system, just as something to take care of our physical body. If we look at different movement systems and different things that people do, like running or kayaking or just going to the gym and doing cardio and doing weights, all of those things are great, but if that's what you're doing, you're missing this component of barefoot movement. And I think being barefoot and doing different shapes, different positions, weight bearing in different ways, challenging your balance, that is so important to keeping your feet strong. And, um, I guess it's a little bit of a controversial thing, but I encourage people to walk barefoot. I know that when I walk barefoot, I have better awareness of my feet. My feet feel stronger. I'm kind of generally just happier when I get to be barefoot more. I really enjoy that, not feeling confined by having shoes on. But it's just like switching to the minimalist shoe. Don't fling your shoes into the corner and then, like, walk for three days straight with nothing on your feet because you're not conditioned to that. It's about gradually working yourself into that, spending an hour barefoot, spending two hours barefoot. Gradually work up to it. Don't fling yourself into it because you'll probably have sore, achy feet if you do it that way. But I think being barefoot in terms of what we get from yoga that makes this movement system so special, that's one of the things. Um, There's only a, maybe a handful of other movement systems that are traditionally done barefoot, like modern dance or um, Pilates, depending. Sometimes people will wear Pilates socks and I have to say sometimes in the winter when it's really cold I wear Pilates socks to do yoga because my feet are freezing. but that does change the sensory input that you're getting into your foot. It's going to change it a little bit so definitely trying to spend time completely barefoot if you can. Um, And the reason I said that's controversial is because at work in the therapy clinic when we have people with different foot conditions like plantar fasciitis, um, bunions, things like that, a lot of times the doctors will tell them don't walk barefoot ever. Ever. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of factors that go into that, especially in the clinical setting. There's a lot of factors that go into that. But um, I tend to not like when medical professionals give that solid 100% advice of you are not allowed to be barefoot ever, um, especially when you have a situation like plantar fasciitis or some sort of thing where we know the foot muscles are weak we know that the foot muscles need to be strengthened Um, I think there's other ways to go about that but of course if your doctor gives you that advice the rest of us are in no place to say anything else Um, but you as the individual can advocate, can research can understand your own body and maybe figure out that sometimes if a doctor tells you something it's coming from a certain place Um, but you might be able to figure out that that isn't the 100% best advice for you personally to follow, but that's a really individual basis. Now that we've talked a little bit about the feet and why they're such a complex part of the body and why it's so important for us to give extra attention to the feet during our practice, let's talk about some of the things that I do to just kind of weave in a little bit of extra attention to the feet, the toes, the ankles within the scope of your regular yoga practice. One of the first things that I like to do is just weight shifting. You can do this in mountain pose in just a simple stand um, or you can do it in forward bend. I like to do a little bit of both and let people play around with their weight shift So, what I mean by that is, if you are in a position where the feet are on the mat, rocking your weight toward the toes, toward the ball of the foot, and then rocking your weight back toward the heel. You can go back and forth, or you can hold one direction or the other. I especially like to do that in a forward bend. Because when you perform that weight shift in a forward fold you will feel the sensation in the back of the leg change positions. It will get different parts of the hamstring and I always say shift forward and back and then stop at the space where you feel the best sensation in the back of the legs or that desired level of sensation in the back of the legs. For a lot of students that might not be the completely even weight shift that we usually have where we want the ball, the foot, and the heel to have about even pressure in it. They might be leaning forward slightly, they might be leaning back slightly, but for the student to understand that when they come into forward bend, they have the ability to rock their weight slightly to shift their internal experience of that pose It's a really nice way to empower the student to make those little adjustments within their pose so that they're getting exactly what they need out of it rather than that traditional way of teaching yoga where every single person does it the same way. So I love ways to help the students to customize their practice, get what they need out of it. The other kind of movement that I like to do is shifting from the inner edge of the foot to the outer edge of the foot. Rolling out and rolling in. And just because I'm an occupational therapist, I prefer the terms pronation for rolling in and supination for rolling out because those are the terms that we use with the hands. Those are the terms that tend to make more sense in my body and in my brain just because I'm used to talking about the hands more, Um, but inversion is when the inner edge of the foot is lifted, so when the big toe side of the foot is lifted and then eversion is when the outside of the foot is lifted, so that would be like the equivalent of pronation. Um, I think a lot more when you're talking about the feet you will hear the terms inversion and eversion more than pronation and supination but um, it's good to know both and see which one you feel more comfortable using on a regular basis but those are kind of the four different directions of weight shift front and back and then rolling in and rolling out and then you can connect that together to almost a circular movement rocking toward the right sides, forward toward the toes rocking toward the outer edges and then back toward the heels and then switch that direction. And it's a really small weight shift, but it gives some very interesting work to all of the muscles around the ankle joint. I love circular movements because it goes at the joint from every single direction, all of the muscles that wrap around. And a really nice way to practice your weight shifting. Okay, so another way that I like to bring in foot and ankle work into the practice is using toe balancing poses because the feet are so dynamic when you're in a balancing pose. Even just our traditional single foot stand, one foot on the mat, you're going to feel those micro adjustments happening in the ankle and I, I get kind of weirdly excited about that because I'm such a an anatomy nerd but the speed at which your body is taking in the sensory information sending that up to the brain. The brain is figuring out, okay, where do I have to adjust? What muscle has to contract? What muscle has to relax? Sending that information back down, and it's turning into these really slight little adjustments. It's just an amazing process. So whether the foot is flat on the floor or whether you go up into a toe balance, both of those are very good ways to strengthen the feet to create that more dynamic interaction between the foot and the floor. You can do just a toe balance if you're in mountain pose. Having your students inhale and exhale. Inhale up onto the toes up onto the front of the foot and then exhale down. A lot of times I'll call that the Barbie foot because everybody knows that shape. And then you can add a toe lift just lifting the toes, toe extension and abduction. So you're lifting the toes away from the floor and trying to spread them out and place them down. If you want, that's something that you can coordinate with the breath. And then rocking back onto the heel even farther. And this is always kind of a a fun thing to play around with because it is very hard to keep your balance when you're leaning back onto your heels. A lot of times I'll do this at the wall but seeing if you can balance and even more fun is like trying to walk on your heels. What you'll start to notice is the muscle that comes right up the front of the shin is very active when you're doing that and that is frequently a muscle that is weak, the tibialis anterior. It's a very important muscle in creating dorsiflexion and lifting the back of the foot up. Um, So it's a really nice way to strengthen that muscle that can tend to sometimes be weak and it's a fun way to work on your balance. Okay, Another example of how I work on feet in the scope of a regular yoga practice is coming into a standing pose such as warrior two or warrior one and then working on the front ankle. So if I was in warrior two The front ankle would alternate between lifting the heel, contracting the calf muscle, dropping the heel down, lifting the toes, and then lifting the ball of the foot so you're just resting on the heel. Drop the foot down. It's like you're pumping the ankle forward and back, but the rest of the pose is trying to stay as still and stable as possible. The other option would be if you are in a high lunge, your back foot would be planted onto the mat um, with the toes and the ball of the foot making contact. But then you have some movement that can happen at that back ankle where you can push toward the heel and then rise up onto the ball of the foot and the toe. Push toward the heel and rise up onto the ball of the foot and the toe. That same kind of movement can be done in downward facing dog. That's actually something I have my students do in almost every class recently. You just come into down dog and pay attention to the feet. As you inhale you go as high as you can up onto the toes maybe even lifting onto the tiptoes and then as you exhale let the heels drop back to a natural landing point. Inhale all the way up onto the toes exhale the heels back. So there's this coordinated movement of dorsiflexion, flexion at the ankle and you have some body weight there so it's a bit of a strengthening movement and you're coordinating it with your breath. I like it because you're getting all sorts of connection between the toes and the floor. Lots of good dynamic interaction between the foot and the floor. So that's just a couple of ways that you can work on some foot things integrated right into your normal practice. If you want to see a more visual demonstration of that you can go over to my Instagram which is always on the bottom of the board. It's at Laura G Yoga, and I usually put up a few demonstrations of those focus components that I'm using to pull together the theme of whatever practice I'm doing for that week. For The next practice, I'm going to shift focus to the hands and like I mentioned earlier, the hands are biomechanically the most complex structure in our body. Muscle, bone, joints, tendons and ligaments, there's all sorts of stuff going on in the hands and it's why we have so much dexterity. Also, an incredible amount of sensory input from our hands. So, looking forward to talking about the hands and how we can give some more attention to the hands because it's a really similar thing we use our hands for everything and if you're like most of us I know I am on the computer all the time during the day or on my phone constantly most of us have forearm tension that we don't even realize is there until we start working on it Um, and things like carpal tunnel, thumb arthritis Uh, there's a lot of different hand injuries that are becoming more and more common because of our constant interaction with uh, computers, phones, all of the technology that's become a really essential part of our day. So, I mean we can't really get away from that stuff. I know I can't, it's an integral part of my job is electronic documentation in the medical system now. So The way that we work around that is we just have to make space in our day, make space in our practice to give extra attention to help the hands and the forearms recover from all the things that we're asking from it. So next time, talking about the hands. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. for joining me in this episode of the yoga focus podcast if you'd like to leave me a comment or a question you can go over to my youtube channel at Laura G Yoga and leave a comment under the video format of the podcast or you can go on to my instagram which is also at lauragyoga and leave me a question or send me a direct message on there if you want to ask a question for a future podcast topic go over to the Anchor app on your phone and you'll have an option on there to send me a voice message and you might be featured in a future episode. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end of the podcast. I just wanted to talk to you guys about the book that I released in June of 2019, which is called Yoga Therapy at the Wall. I've worked on this book for the past three years to create all of the pictures and all of the information in here. It's 162 pages and it's a full color manual. The chapters are broken down by body parts that we focus on using the wall to help us learn about different movement patterns and how to change some of the yoga postures to have a specific therapeutic focus. And you can really start to understand when you look at the book, why I feel like the wall is the most underutilized prop that we have in yoga. We kind of forget about these things that we have all around us and that we almost always have access to a wall to utilize in the practice. So, This manual will give you a ton of ideas to expand and start to utilize the wall as a prop. If you're interested in ordering, you can get the printed version on lulu.com. You can either take the link in the show notes or you can go on Lulu and look up yoga therapy at the wall. There's also a digital download option, but for that you have to go on Etsy. And my Etsy store is Healthy Focus by Laura G. Or you can just search yoga therapy at the wall. Thanks. Hope you enjoy it.